Hi, welcome to Sweetman Podcast. I'm your host, I'm Simon Sweetman. This is episode 261. Uh, thanks as always to Tea Leaf Tea and Yeasty Boys. I recorded this conversation a few weeks ago when I was in Christchurch. I was down for a family uh, event and I had asked uh, this guy, Chris Auxie, if I could talk to him and he was keen. Now, he's a Facebook friend um, and this was our first time meeting and ahead of this conversation, we I guess we spent an hour or so having a chat before I hit record on the on the microphone. Uh, we went and checked out a record store, talked a bit about music because that's sort of how we have interacted. But um, he is Father Christopher Auxey. He is the vicar at St. Michael's and All Angels in Christchurch. And I wanted to talk to him about that. I wanted to talk to him about his conversion to religion. And I wanted to get some, uh, not just his story and journey, but uh, also you'll hear my my questions come from the point of view of someone. I, I'm, not, I'm not religious. I'm not a Christian. But I'm not um, as sceptical about it as I once was. And I'm certainly not... Um, an atheist, which I think I once was. Um, yeah, so I wanted to have a chat to him. I wanted to get his story. Uh, I felt like he was the perfect person for me to talk to. His journey is interesting. He wasn't brought up religious at all. He had an epiphany, I guess you'd say. He had a moment um, of spiritual clarity that arrived to him when he needed it most and maybe was expecting at least. And I loved this conversation. I love hearing about his journey. And I also thought it was important to speak to someone um, about this topic, uh, in my mind, I thought it was interesting to talk to someone based in Christchurch. I feel like Christchurch, we all know, has been through a lot in the last decade. So I feel like that was an interesting thing to bring into this conversation. We did talk a bit about music and, and a little bit about um, music and religion and uh, theomusicology um, because we're both interested in that. Chris is a composer. I'm going to place a link to some of the music that he's made that's on YouTube that you can hear. He's now writing and creating devotional music, actually using it in his services. But... Um, Man, I reckon it's some of the best ambient music you can listen to, regardless of what you think about religion. Uh, I, I love this conversation. He's very open. He's very engaging and very interesting to talk to. It was a great way to meet someone and a little bit different for this podcast, sure. But um, I hope you'll roll with that and enjoy this. This is me talking to Father Christopher Auxey. We've only just met, although we've spent... Um, <laughs> you, you've taken me to a record store, which I'd never been to, and we've spent an hour or so talking about everything from prog rock to... Big sounding eighties albums. And, I love it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's and that I'm happy to keep talking about that. But that's when I contacted you to have a chat. That's not why I wanted to talk to you. Um, we don't know each other, but we know each other on Facebook. That's true. And it's been a wee while. We've corresponded a little bit. I don't know how Good we. Ten years, I suppose. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like I don't know how we got to know each other, but just through circles of knowing. It's, you were reviewing music. that you were doing. Oh right, yeah, yeah, yeah. Blog yeah. uh, on the tracks. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you were following that, yeah, and totally. we've got some mutual friends, mm-hmm. and and we're both interested in music. But somewhere in that, I noticed that you had this separate journey that happened, mm-hmm. and I guess I got really interested in it, particularly when. A couple of things, and particularly I think it was last year during the lockdown when you started doing your recordings of daily prayer and so forth. Yep. So that's what I wanted to talk to you about. I mean, I'm not a massively religious person. I would I would say generally I would say I'm not religious at all. Maybe at times I've been a religious skeptic or something like that. Um, I certainly had my period where I read like the Hitchens books and the Dawkins books and probably thought it was a good idea to quote from them. And, yeah. then, and then I read them read some of them again and Sam Harris and stuff and then I read some other things and thought it's interesting to take this stuff on board but I don't need to be out there like thinking that that's actually the word no. it's not um, so I've yeah I've had my own interesting and then in recent years I've probably the last couple of years I've just sort of been thinking about how 
I don't know enough about religion to have any sort of opinion on it. I'm interested how it comes into people's lives, particularly late in their life, mm. and 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 what they do with it and how they find it and and you know I guess we're in maybe never more than previous years in the 20th century we're in uncertain times maybe that's an interesting point so uh, maybe that could be our starting off point um, about how you came to religion um, well I was, wasn't brought up in it at all uh, never went to church or anything wasn't it, you know the idea of God or anything beyond uh, this existence just wasn't part of mm. our life as growing up but somewhere in my childhood um, I'm not sure how old I was, but I distinctly remember a moment, I was about six or seven I think, where I remember thinking, lying in bed going, what if there's not a God? Now, it's an unusual thing because this wouldn't have been a conversation in that house. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that idea, and I think, so from when I was a teenager onwards, I was always interested in, for want of a better term, like spirituality. Mm. Whether that be astrology, you know, on that level, or tarot cards, or angels, you know, occulty things, new agey things. I was always quite mm. interested in that. And that always, uh, was, I suppose it was part of who I was. Um, and that was always the thing, but it was never the idea of God. That mm. was not a thing that I never would have used that language and I never would have thought of it like that. Um, but I was always aware um, that there was something more to this existence than the physical realm. Mm. Okay. And I had experiences... Um, what well, I suppose you'd turn them now mystical experiences, uh, out of body experiences, those kinds of things had happened. So I was always aware of it. Um, but becoming a Christian was mm. something that was never on my radar. Mm. Um, that was certainly not something I'd ever thought of. Uh, I'd never investigated. I'd never read the Bible or anything like that, or ever been to church. And you wouldn't, but you wouldn't characterise yourself as someone who had any problem with anyone who was a Christian or anything like that. Oh, I was that. probably quite antagonistic about it. Right. Oh, definitely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. It was yeah. the thing like I. Uh, Christians, as far as I was concerned, when I was in my twenties, were losers, mm. and mm. they they were just nothing. They yeah. were just because I think if you don't know, yeah, if you don't read the text, if you don't you know, if you don't read the Bible or go to church, what you experience in secular society of religion is what you probably see on the telly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So Benny Hinn, that yeah. kind of thing. Yeah. You watch that and go. Yes, you see the extremes basically. Yeah, exactly, and you go, mm. why on earth would I want anything? And to do you with associate that? The, the the bad news stories with it. Totally. From and of course, corruption to violence abuse, to abuse to, to, you know, people ripping people off. Yeah. That's also, right. it's always the extreme versions that, totally. we, that we hear because they sell. That's they right. Pull exactly. people in. And, yeah. 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 and do you, you know Adrian Mole, right? Yeah, uh, yeah. Secret Dive Adrian yeah, Mole. Yeah, right, yeah. Yeah, love this. This one thing, one entry that he had, um, must have been some, he mentions in it uh, that he's watching a funeral on TV or something. And he was watching, or he was watching hymns of the day or something. And he said, he was watching all the people in church singing and he wished that he had faith like they did. And uh, I didn't remember that until I became a Christian, actually. But yeah. anyway. So, but then in, after uh, Sarah and I had our daughter, and um, that, kind of, that kind of throws things up a bit. Becoming a parent, you become yes. aware of your own existence in a different way. Yeah. You'd agree yeah. with that, right? Yeah, yeah, totally. Take, come here. Dog's all right. Yeah, shoot. Oh, she's part of the journey, man. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, but then in 2006, I went to a party. It was Christmas Eve. So you're working in a record store? Yep, I was at working the, at Galaxy. Yeah, yeah, we should chuck that in. So that's yeah. what that's your job. Yeah. That's what you're into. Music, music's music your thing. thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Now, especially if you, to backfill the story a bit, like, yeah. I mean, I was working, I was, t- so it was 2006, I was t- 34. 
four years old. Mm. And I was going through a really bad period, actually. I was going through a very dark period. Um, I was pretty miserable, I think. Um, and that wasn't good. Uh, it was very, very dark. I didn't like myself very much at all. And I'd just done this... I was composing some music, and it was an album called uh, Transition. And it was four pieces, and I'd done these four pieces, and they told a story. Um, I wasn't sure what they were, but it did tell a story. I could see this arc. And I was hunting for words for it, what I'd call these things. Mm. I knew I'd... Oh, this, this <laughs> the other dog. <laughs> um, I, I knew what... I knew the... Coco, come here. Coco, come on. You have to get this part Coco, come on. Yeah. How'd you get... Come on. Coco. Come on, dogs. How'd you get... Good dog. Good dog. Um, and so... Uh, so I found these words to, to call them. It was like um, one of them was intercession and uh, consolation and uh, all these kinds of terms. Yeah. Premonition. Yeah. Uh, and, and so this it's sounding a bit like a Carlos Santana record <laughs> at this point. That's wrong, Carlos. No. Bloody well, not not in the mid seventies anyway. <laughs> Seventy seven man. You, yeah. You can do no wrong. Yeah. But after yeah. that, yeah, gets a bit patient, yeah. <laughs> um, But so anyway, this uh, and this was telling the story. It was a story of. Look, I mean, looking at it now, I and mean, you look at things backwards and you go, well, yeah. this is the story of coming out of something, going into it. Yeah. But when I was doing it, I was in it. Mm. Anyway, so we went to this party. Uh, I wasn't drinking at the time. I was drinking lots of lemonade, actually, so it's probably on a sugar high. Mm. Um, and I got in a cab home, and it was Christmas Eve, that's the thing. Got home and uh, was talking to the taxi driver, and he had on his dashboard a picture of... I didn't know who it was at the time, but it was the Orthodox... Greek Orthodox Pope. Mm-hmm. And I was sitting there and I said, who's that? And he goes, it's my Pope. And I, I remember thinking that was an unusual term, my Pope. Mm. And that was, was probably true, it wasn't mine. You know. And we ended up having this conversation and uh, you know, I said that I was brought up an Anglican, but my wife was brought up Catholic, and you know, he was Orthodox, and this is all fine, and da-da-da. And I got out of the cab and he said, look, doesn't matter what, what you believe, as long as you believe. And I said, yeah, I think you're right. Anyway, so I get inside, dog comes to the door, um, it's wonderful, um, my wife's asleep, uh, my mother-in-law's asleep, and my daughter's asleep, and it's Christmas Eve, you know, mm. so the next morning is, you know, mm. you've got a three-year-old daughter. Yeah, yeah, it's showtime for them, yeah. Exactly. You know, so I get up, and I'm wide awake to me drinking all this lemonade, right, all the sugar's Yeah, getting yeah. There. So, and TV, so Sarah's asleep, I put the TV on, and it was Midnight Mass from Christchurch Cathedral, right? and I watched it. And as it was happening, the way the candles were moving, the way the chanting was happening, uh, the word from the Gospel of John, chapter 1, uh, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God, you know, that I'd never heard any of this. And it was the, all I can say was that it was, I recognised it as the truth. This was the truest thing I'd ever heard in my life. If, I mean, the, the truthiest thing, whatever you, whatever yeah, term yeah. you want to use. Yeah, yeah. Let's not use truthiest because it sounds um, yeah, yeah. Trumpian. <laughs> yeah, it does a bit. It does, yeah. <laughs> um, and that was it. I was like, wow, this is a thing. Wow, what's this? I, mm. and, and I didn't know anything about it. And uh, so I remember thinking, well, this... Get out of here, you. Oi! <laughs> Coco! Come on! Coco, come on! Come on! <laughs> I didn't even know there was a door there. <laughs> I hadn't even noticed that. <laughs> so, um, so the next day, so I 
have to go to church. Mm. I've never been to church. I don't know what they even did in church. Yeah, right. And I went to the local one and it was awful. It was so bad. Oh, I hated it so much and it was just awful and there was this bloke raving on about Jesus dying and I knew nothing about the gospel mm. but I knew that Christmas was when he was born and this guy was carrying on about him dying saying what on earth is this what are you doing and I walked into the church it was funny like it was it had, a, it had its nave and I sat in this other part I was sitting in another part of the church I was on my own and no one came up in, 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 in a service you have the peace yeah, everyone yeah. goes around shakes his own hand yeah. no one came and shook my hand yeah and these guys are a bunch of assholes. And came out and uh, the guy, the minister, said to me, where are you visiting from? And I'm thinking, I just live up the road. Anyway. So I'd had this experience that was really out of the norm. It was beautiful. And it had come to this really horrible thing. And I was going, well, I it made no sense to me. I, I couldn't work it out. But I knew that what I'd experienced was real. So I had this... Next day I went to the cathedral, you know, scene mm. of the crime, so to speak, mm. and had communion for the first time. And it was a beautiful little service. And I was like, yes, this is the business. This is, this is what I need. And the next day... That's what I came for. Yeah, the next day I went to St. Michael's, and it was a healing service. And I was sitting there, and I could hear the service about to start. It must have been at 10 o'clock in the morning, or 12 o'clock, I can't remember, that time of the day. And... I was sitting there and the light was coming through the window and it hits these little jars uh, which carry the you know the wine, the water mm. and the healing oil. Mm. And I knew at that moment that this is what I had to give my life to. It was like, it was it wasn't words, it was just real. It was just like this is it. I remember coming home saying to Sarah, I have to be a priest. And she went, No, you're not. And I remember thinking, well, I don't even say in this. Um, so that was that's how the conversion happened. It was over wow. three days. Yeah. And it was really Isn't that a biblical number in itself? <laughs> well Trinity, yes. <laughs> but so but there's been no turning there's been no looking back since then. Yeah. Like I mean but I had to reevaluate everything. The thing but I the thing that blew me away was I started reading the gospels. Mm. And the way that I understood humanity and the way we needed to be with each other, I was hearing it. I was going, mm. Well, this is what I think anyway. Yeah, you know, I'm not, I don't have to. I don't have to start being a capitalist. I don't have to start being a, an asshole. I can actually carry on thinking. Yes, we do need to look after each other. Mm. And so that I, was, I remember saying to uh, the priest at the time who was there, "This is great. I don't have to change my political viewpoint." Yeah, yeah. This and is I, giving you a framework for. It, and it did, and that that was quite uh, on a surface level. That's very true. Now, mm. of course, the more time you spend with it, it's far more. Mm. Um, it's a lot more intricate than that. Mm, mm. The, basically, yeah, love God, love your neighbour. If you've got those two things, you're going to be right, mm, I think. Mm, mm. That's what I tell people when they're getting their gifts back anyway. But, so, th that journey, and but I had to reevaluate music. This was this thing that happened, and it was like, um, all of a sudden, there was a whole bunch of stuff that I could not listen to. Yeah, I was curious about that. Is that yeah. Was that instant, like, you went, I'm not... Yeah, totally. I, I've got a take that out all equation. of a sudden like, I mean I really like death metal right, right? I, I yeah, love yeah, it yeah. and um, all of a sudden guys carrying on about wanting to do awful things yeah. just did not appeal Yeah. Um, so that was a real problem because I still love the sound of the music Yeah. but what they were carrying on and I think about, for a lot of people I'm going to guess because I'm a very fair weather 
metal fan in general, I think. When I say that, I just know I couldn't hold my own in a conversation of extreme fandom, but I, I would think in most cases it's the overall sound and the musical totally. thing that's really pulling people in. Yeah. And so a lot of people, the ext- when it's at the extreme end of the lyrics, a lot of people who are bright people, particularly, are able to just basically yeah. ignore that, right? Yeah. yeah. And ignore it, or it's... Um, or just it's, understand it in its context. It's, it's comic. Like, yeah, so like Cannibal Corpse, yeah. it's just... It's just yes, but the shock things, value. And so when you got this sort of satanic thing going yes. on to Karen, it's like, that became more of a problem. Yeah, yeah, yeah I imagine. Um, so one of the first things I actually had to start investigating was, is there... There's got to be Christian death metal. There, there has to be. Yes. And I found that. And so all of a sudden, I had to look down that little line there and found some... There's about three artists, uh, Christian death metal, that I think are up there with the yeah. other stuff. Yeah. That I would not be embarrassed to put on to other death right. metal fans. Yeah, yeah, yeah. A lot of it's dross, but most, a lot of metal's dross, you know? Yes, you yes. Know, like any form. Totally. But the thing is with that, so that gave me a, a, a different insight into it. Because most modern Christian music, well, I don't like it. It mm, doesn't work mm, for me. Mm. Uh, obviously works for some people, well done. Mm. Um, wouldn't work for me on a just sitting down to listen to level wouldn't work for me on a liturgical or worship level either. Yes. So, but then, the, the other thing it did is go, okay, so modern music, okay, so I'm not going to find a lot of good Christian 80s new romantic music. It doesn't yeah. exist. Yeah, yeah. There's a couple of albums, and they're borderline. Yeah. But, all of a sudden you go, well, there's actually thousands of years of it. So, Hildegard of Bingham. Mm. So, just I started lapping this stuff up. And that's, that's where that journey went. So, um listening to her and reading her books, her visions, just became part of it. So but it was still acceptable for you to listen to Duran Duran or to, Japan or whatever? Never, or you, yeah. you just might have shelved them for a bit because you're bringing in new stuff, but you weren't, you weren't shelving them and I, I can't listen to that again because that was safe. Well, for a while, initially, um, if I actually looked through my, my diary at that time, what I was listening to, there was definitely a thing of looking for spirituality. Yes, of course. So, so that then, becomes the, the prominent yeah. thing. Yeah, so that yeah. became really interesting. Like, how does how does spirituality and music work? Became, and I that's still probably the thing. I'm, you know, if I read about anything other than you know God stuff or music something like that, but that period, that thing in between the two. Yeah. Um, it's called uh, Theomusicology. Yeah, yeah. That there is fascinating. Yeah, I'm finding that more interesting. Totally. I'm reading a book. I've just started a book and I don't know the title of it. <laughs> I've forgotten the title of it, but it's it's basically an exploration of John Coltrane's spirituality and his yep. music. See, but it's written as a theomusicological yeah, 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 yeah. text. See, that's, yeah. Coltrane, that's a really yeah. good example. Yes. Love it's not just a love supreme. Obviously, that's the, the that's main the one, but, but it. This looks at some of the other examples in his work too, but clearly that's the main thing it's going to get into, yeah. Oh, totally. And I think what you get with, with the Love Supreme, it's, I think you'd be hard pushed to listen to that and not find a spirituality. Yeah. I mean, I, I, mean, I know you know, outright atheist people who they'd go, yeah, yeah, there's something going on. Yes, yeah. I mean, that's a... That's a I think that was my first connection. I might have... When I first heard I Love Supreme, I might have called myself an atheist. I don't think I'd use that term now, but I might have called myself an atheist at that point. I was a teenager. Mm-hmm. So I certainly had no, you know, much like you're describing your teenage years, I had no interest in religion particularly. Um, and I heard 
I love Supreme. And you read the liner notes too, of course, but you hear it. Quite you, you just go straight away. Like I can, I can visualize where I was when I first heard that album. So above and beyond most other records. Yep. I'm just like, I'm, every time I hear it, I'm transported to that place. I'm just like, wow. Because in my brother's bedroom, he brought it home from university, and I just felt like I'd been punched. Yep. And I just had to, you know, the wind was taken out of me, and I just had to sit there and take it and go. This is and I love jazz, but I was 14 or 13, so I only loved a small amount of jazz. I only knew about, but this was instantly the greatest thing I'd ever heard. Yeah, it's one of those. It's a, an amazing document of yeah. jazz at that time, but also that sort yes. of what spirituality can do. Because yes, there are words in it. Yeah. it does that chant, which yes. is pretty cool in itself. Yes, but this is the idea of exploring the divine purely in a non-verbal sense. Yes. Now yes. that to me is really interesting. Yeah. Like so you, so when you so like Hildegard is all like she was doing her stuff in what the eleven hundreds around here. And it's all words, right? And these are words that she heard in her visions and she wrote them out. And they all sung them, her nuns and her convent. And people have recorded them since. And that's amazing stuff. And you go through the history of it and religious music has been obviously that's what Western music comes from. Mm. It comes from, you know, mm. Gregorian chant, you know, mm. which is wonderful stuff. Mm. But then you go, you know, it goes through its periods, you know, Beethoven did his bit, Mozart, all of that. They all did their parts of it. Then, like, being an Anglican, so what is Anglican church music? What is, what is, that, what is that sound? So a lot of that sounded pretty flat to me, like Stanford and, um, yeah, that's the one, Stanford, Anglican love Anglicans love Stanford, but it not work for me. But someone like Herbert Howells is able to express a deep spirituality uh, and just in his harmonies and melodies. And mm. that really works for me. And mm. it's a beautiful thing. And it's a particularly Anglican way of going about it. Interestingly enough, he wasn't necessarily a believer at all. But he was able to express the divine in music. So mm. I think there's something where it goes beyond the person who's doing it. And we accept the idea that the divine is involved. Mm. Uh, Messian, I think, is probably in terms of composers, would be the one who does it the best. I think he just had a. He was quite overt in what he did, but um, he was able to express a, a sense of the divine in just pure sound. And I think that's really interesting. But then I hear that in Brian Eno. I yeah, hear, yeah, and that's yeah. the thing. Now, yes. Eno's not a religious person yeah, at yeah, all. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, He's probably more on the Hitchens end. Yeah, 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 However, yeah. you put on um, like I think the album Lux is the one for me. Yes, that was really special for me because that came out shortly after Oscar was born. So I was Wonderful. in that phase of early morning. What what the hell is happening? But we just know we're going to keep this and, person alive. And this is going to go for seventy eight minutes. <laughs> That's right. That was and that was just the the calming agent in the house. That album. And it's a and yeah. it's, it's a beautiful record. Yeah. And there's moments in there where um like I've used that in, in yeah. church for meditation. And because it's got that thing of the four segmented parts, totally. so you can play it as a whole, but you can also have these yep. nice long. Whereas some of his albums are one whole track. Yeah, yep. I can see how that would work. For that. Oh no, it, it, so we yeah. use that and uh, yeah. you know, and it was just. And I could, we'd, what I'd do is I'd go, we'd find a passage from either one of the mystics or the scriptures, mm. and we'd read it, and then we'd sit together with candles and incense, and Brian and I would just be the music. So it acted as uh, an environment, but also um, a timekeeper. Yeah, you know? so yeah, yeah. You know when it finishes, yes. that's when we finish. Yeah. But also, the way his music works with just the repetition and the, yeah. all of that, when you're meditating, you can latch onto one of those bits. Yeah. It takes you away. Yes. And if you, 
you've got the words of scripture or whatever it is you're using, or if those words aren't working for you, you yeah. can use just go off with this Brian thing. And I, I found that really, really useful. William Basinski's Disintegration Loops would be another one. Or, or do, do you know Water what? Music. I, I think, found Basinski yeah. didn't work. It was right. really, really interesting. Like, okay. um, I, was, I thought the same thing. Yeah, thought, yeah, yeah. This is going to be great. However, yes. because of the, the music, the way that yeah. the actual disintegration of it, yeah, it actually yeah. became disruptive. Okay, yeah, no, I can see that now as soon as you say that. Yeah. But like, because for me, in my, in my uncultured non-practice of mm. just putting music on to zone out to, it's sublime, and it's, it's one of those examples where I do go, this, on a surface level, this could almost be a religious music. I, I would, what I'd say about um, Bazinski, like he's a really interesting guy, and mm. I think there is a spirituality in his music. Yes. I, I think whether he would express it like that, I'm not sure. He seems to speak in those words. Like the last album, Lamentations, mm. is full on, man. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah. Weak. But I think um, if you look at uh, how time worked for that, like, I mean, he was he made those pieces in the 80s and him transferring them uh, to digital made the disintegration. Yes, right? yeah. There's something in that process yes, that was yes, bigger than him. Yes, Okay, so we've been given this thing as people, something out about the process and how that worked, something that was much bigger than all of us created that. Mm. He did not create that. He created the initial thing, but he kind of um, midwifed it. Yes, yeah, yeah. And I think if you look at it like that, you go, well, there's something much bigger here. Or or you could go, it's an accident. Yeah. However, that's an absolutely beautiful accident, you know, and look, yes. at, what we've, look at what we've got for yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I would see a spiritual element in that, um, but maybe others wouldn't. Yeah, 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 yeah. But the tones and the chords he uses are. Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So let's go back to... In your in your in your journey to deciding I'm gonna be a priest. Yep. You say you say that and your wife says, nah. Yep. And obviously Yes, well this was that was what I was gonna sort of say is like so what's the what's what's the period before that does become a reality and what's how many conversations are there? <laughs> well that actually Sarah, Sarah and I worked that out quite quickly. Yeah. Um because it was real, and the thing was, like, you just don't go, oh, you don't, you don't sign an application form, and you know it doesn't mm, work like mm, that. Mm. So there's a whole process you have to go through, and um, so I was talking with the diocese here in Christchurch at the time, and they were going, yeah, we'll interview you, we'll talk about this, and we'll go through this, and start doing this stuff, and you're know, getting the process. And Sarah is from Sydney, and she said, well, look, if this is where we're going, I want to be with my family in Sydney. And I said, okay, fine. Well, God's calling me. It doesn't matter where I am, mm-hmm. and which is true. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we moved there, and that was that was a bit of a test because um, if you don't know much about Anglicanism, I don't know if you do, Simon. No, I don't. Uh, Anglicanism is generally it's goes obviously runs a gamut from conservative to very liberal, mm. right? um, and I'm in the liberal end of things, as you know, I'd have to be. Yeah, uh, and. Sydney, unfortunately, is the most conservative right, Anglican right. diocese in the world. Right. I mean, the, I, I think they are. Maybe some, yeah. some yeah, in yeah. Africa, but, yeah, but they're full right, on, right? Right. Uh, and I'm not. So that was never going to work. Mm. I remember being there in Sydney going, well, this is awful. This is not going to work for me. And um, how, where's, what's God doing with this? And I rang my 
priest here in Crossroads said this. He said, yeah, I told you Sydney's awful. You know, that's not going to work. He said, but I've got a, my brother is in Newcastle. Um, I'll give him your number. So I'll get this call from Stephen. And he goes, oh, come up and I'll introduce you to our bishop up here. So I got on the train, went up to Newcastle, met the bishop, and he goes, yeah, you're, you're what we're after. Um, you start coming up here once a week. And so mm. I just did that. And then they said, you know, you've got to move up here. Got to do a degree. We'll train you up, and that was it. So Sarah was giving herself a little bit of an out. Yeah. Around, you know, I want to support you. Yeah. This has become undeniable. Yeah. And so when things become undeniable, yeah, you go with them. But there was the, there was. A but she was giving herself that out of well, I have some family support. That's right. Because I need to understand this too. That, yeah. Exactly. This yeah. journey that she went through, yes. which would have been really yes. difficult, because this is what I keep saying to you know people in the church or friends or whatever, like that night, Christmas Eve 2006, mm. God zapped me. Mm, not. Didn't zap her. Yeah, not your family. No, 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 it didn't happen like yeah. that. Um, yeah. And so the journey that we've been on as a family um, was quite, uh, it's been interesting. Like my daughter, she came to church and she got, you know, obviously got baptised and, um, you know, uh, confirmed and she went to a Catholic school and all those things. She doesn't follow, she doesn't go to church now. Um, but she's got a, there's a spirituality with her, there's a spirituality yeah. with Sarah. It's yeah. there. It's yeah. just not in the way that I would express it. But I mean, for me, the, the whole thing's my whole life. Yes. So that's all I do. Um, so it's not going to be like that for them. Yeah. And so when you go, when you get placed in a parish, in a church, you go, well, this is what I'll do. Um, and I've had to say to all my churches, well, but my wife is not going to be involved in this. Because normally, yeah. the vicar turns up and the wife free labour. Yes. And yes. it happens all the time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I just... So I was going to say, from my limited understanding, and again, from TV and things, you, but you come to understand that and think, totally. yes, it's a, it's a twofer. <laughs> and for some for some marriages and some couples, that works. Yes. And for some churches, that works. There's other times it doesn't work. Yeah. And so you just got to be upfront about it. Yeah, and yeah. they'll go, well, we're employing you anyway. Yeah. Well, you're going to be here for us. Yeah. So it's been a journey. We've had our ups and downs with it, of course. Um, but that's you know that's what marriage is like. And um, you know, through the call of being a priest, uh, there's been times when I've wanted to walk away from it. Of course, right. it's because it's hard work at times. Uh, but I'm there's sure. other times. Yeah. There are times when it is the most brilliant thing in the world, and this I can't imagine not doing it. Like to to not be able to be a priest anymore would be the worst thing. There are other times when I think, what on earth am I doing? Uh, why am I, it feels like a waste of time. Uh, because you get stuck in real boring, mundane things that, mm. like any organisation has. Yeah. And that you never feel called to be, you know, to do administration. No one's, you know, called to do that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You're called to help people, to baptise, to yeah. um, help people through the journey of dying, uh, help families as they deal with someone who's died. Um, to bring the presence of God into people's lives or to help them see that God is with them, uh, you know, to read the scriptures with people, pray with people, all of those things. That's really good stuff. Mm. And um, to not do that would be really... Well, I wouldn't like that at all. I mean, saying the Mass, for me, is just a beautiful experience. And it's different each time and it's wonderful. And some days it feels like you're floating on the air, other days it feels like you're walking through treacle. But it's always wonderful. Mm. But the thing comes for me is it's like, well, yes, this is what the church is and this is what we do. Um, 
but we're not engaging with people that the way we need to. And I think that that's probably what I'm most interested in at the moment, is how do we engage with people who have seen Benny Hinn on TV, who have uh, heard the terrible things of the church, the abuse, all this stuff, and they've gone, I don't want anything to do with that. Mm. And we get to say to them, well, actually there's some good stuff in here. This is actually really good. Mm. Um, and it doesn't have to be uh, either boring and old-fashioned or, you know, hands up in the air, hill song. It actually and how, I mean, how colossally detrimental to the brand is that stuff? Like, do you feel some days like a firefighter for your brand of just, like, people are... People have... Obviously, people who are in the church yeah. are, are literally on your side. Yeah, But in terms of wanting to extend the service or explain the service and the role to other people, if like me, if my main thing that I'm hit over the head with is bad things have happened, mm. um, can you feel a bit like a kind of firefighter that's oh. going, you know... I've got to just fan these flames and wash this out. And, yep. and I'm not actually getting one step ahead, but I'm putting you at ease about some of that stuff. I mean, it's basically hashtag not all churches. Yeah, true. I mean, look, I mean, I, the certain things that I do, because we're my church is in Central City, mm. like, I mean, I make sure, you know, we're McCassick when I'm wandering around. So that's a very visible, visible, yeah, visible yeah. sign. Yeah. Now, that comes with it. That comes with certain things. Now, I have to be very aware that I get treated a certain way in some places. Like, I get, I know that I probably get treated better in some places yeah. than I normally would. Yeah. But I also get called pedophile a lot. Right. You know, get shouted at that. Right. So, there's that. you got to, and you just got to go, well, I know I'm not. Well, so, you're like, a, you're like a kind of living set of blog comments. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Yeah. It happens. It happens. I mean, it wouldn't be once a week. Um, get, you know, you get called all sorts of things. Yeah. And what's your movement with that? Do you just move through it? You don't engage? I, oh, totally not. Yeah. No, no, there's no point. No. Um, there's been times when I've been in a really bad mood and I've told someone to F off. Yeah. yeah. Um, but I get really angry about it, though. I mean, like my last diocese in Australia, in Newcastle, we went through a Royal Commission. Because there'd been terrible abuse in the diocese, yeah, and it was all we watched it online, you know, and just seeing bishop after bishop not answering the questions, what they'd covered up, and then priests who I hadn't met but I knew their names from the past, the things they'd done, seeing the damage it did to churches, to people who'd said, "Well, that man baptized my kids, but he did all these horrible things." Mm. Um, that was really challenging, eh? It was really challenging mm. because you're going well. And the thing that I always go with is, where was God when those men who were God's uh, servants, when they were doing those horrible things, where was he then? That's the question you get asked, and it's bloody hard to answer. I was going to say, that's, that, that is a tough question because it feeds more into, shall we say, my side of the fence totally. in this conversation, doesn't it? That, totally. I, could, that I can throw, that you're, already, you're already asking that of yeah. yourself, which is a good thing to ask. Yeah, but, but I can throw that question at you and the fact that you're asking it yourself, of yourself doesn't prepare you to give an answer. Well, so the, the term that this comes under, uh, uh, the theological term is called theodicy, which mm. is why do good things happen to bad people? That's mm -hmm. the biggest question you get. And it's actually really hard. Like, you know, I've got a school at my place and, um, you know, you deal with kids, right? They're six. And they just come out and say stuff. Mm. Where was God when... 
you know. Yeah. Like say, like in the school, like a, a parent may die, may die, and this kid's six or seven, and they become church, and dad went to church with them, and, and they go, well, what happened? You go, well, you know, you got to go through it, and you got to go through it at a slow pace, and it's an individual thing with that person. There's no blanket answer for this, but I mean, it's the big question, and sometimes I can be in a prayerful way, be with the person and actually got help them and guide them through it. Other times I'm at a loss. So when it gets to the abuse stuff, it gets really tricky because what did these people, they've gone to church and this stuff happened to them. Um, I mean, you can say you can, you can say things like, oh, God was with them uh, to you know, in their pain, was with them, and it's, you know, this is a certain theological thing with we think what Christ did on the cross. Um, in his pain... Uh, he is with everyone who's ever felt pain, and what happened on the cross to, with him is the, it's like the world's pain is there. So when the God that we believe in is a God that has experienced the worst of humanity in lots mm. of ways, mm. um, and so when we are in that place, uh, we uh, in some ways God is very close to us because He has been there. I mean that I can. I can go through that in my head and heart and feel that. A six-year-old kid's not going to get that. Um, so there's other things you have to do. I mean, the, I don't think there's any one answer to this. Mm, and mm. it's really, really tricky. Mm. But I do think that God's not there to protect that person when it's happening. I mean, I wish it, wish it, wish it did work like that. I yeah. just don't think it does. Yeah, yeah. Because we do have a thing of free will. And these men had free will and that was the... Th decision they decide to go with. Mm. Um, the church is paying a price in the sense that um, churches are closing because of this. People mm. have lost the faith. Yes. And Jesus actually says to, um, uh, at one point he goes, look, anyone who would harm any of my children, it would be better if they had a millstone put around their neck and they'd thrown into the sea. Anyone that would do that, that's what should happen. And so when you think of these guys who did that, they know the same scriptures that we had. Yeah, they did that. Mm. What they did, and the thing that really, really makes me angry, is to think that they have not just, they've ruined people's lives, and they have ruined future lives, and they've ruined people's idea of who God is. Mm. And that's pretty bad, man. It's a really terrible thing. But they've actually done this thing where there's a line of um, scripture, it's a beautiful thing, where Jesus says, let the children come to me. And... This is what's been said, you know, talk about it with baptism. Let the children come to me. That line now sounds awful. Mm. So their behaviour has actually changed the meaning and the feeling of the words of God. Yeah, yeah. That's pretty full on. Yeah. And I remember um, him to preach on that once, and it just got so bloody pissed off about it. I was thinking, these assholes that did this. So the church's job now is to go, we allowed this stuff to happen. Yeah, but that's not happening enough for people, is it? No, like not. I was going to say, like that's the big, I think, at this point, that's the big issue with that is people are gobsmacked around, how could this have happened yeah, totally. for so long, yeah. and how could they be so resolute in essentially the cover-up, yeah. the, the washing of hands of it, yeah, of, totally. of um, well, it didn't happen, we're not speaking about it. Absolute disgrace. And, and there's no... Cause, and then, and then the other challenge with that, like even outside of, of talking about historic systemic abuse and religious um, situations is, and, and organisations, is that in general we're co constantly 
finding out and being told that the world's changing, everything's different, everything's being updated, and lots of things that you and I know and love are out of date now and outmoded, including the the industries we both worked in. Yeah, totally. You know, like, because, so, on, on your days when you go, I don't think I want to be a priest, you can't exactly rush back to the record store. Yeah, no, I can't. So, so, in that sense, again, you can thank God and, <laughs> and whoever else for what you're doing. But, so, so there's that, but, like, <clears throat> where I was going was, so everything's, the, 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 the thing we're often told is that, that's no longer relevant, that's out of date, that's moved on, we've moved on to here. Getting people to come into the church and work and live under the rules of the church is a very old-fashioned thing. Why, why, why does that still get the pass, that this is still relevant? So many things are, you know, I know you've updated the way you do it. You know, you deliver your morning prayer on Facebook when there was a lockdown. So you are embracing the, the channels but it's still this old guarded system that we're saying to people, well, this is still relevant. Lots of other things aren't, but this is. Why this? Well, okay. I don't expect an no, no, answer on the back of a postcard. No, that's no, a yeah. really, really, good, a really yeah. good question. And there's many, there's many things to that. Like, mm. I mean, the, the Word of God, as we've been given in the Scriptures, particularly uh, the New Testament, and I'd go even go even tighter than that, saying the Gospels, the person of, uh, of God that we meet in Jesus Christ, uh, that is timeless. Mm -hmm. The message that he had and the life that he led, um, that is for all humanity, for all time. Mm. Now, we have to, obviously we have to read it in the 21st century, and there's going to be parts of it we go, um, this is pretty, uh, you know, this is a different world. Yeah. This, there is a, the, a farming culture, all these kinds of things. Yeah. We're not in that anymore. Yeah. However, the truths of it, the actual essence of it, still stands up. And it does stand, it does come down to the thing of like, Look, don't be a dick, basically. Mm, yeah, yeah, look after yeah, look, yeah. don't be if you're gonna say that stuff, if you're gonna get it back, just be just be nice be to kind, people. Yeah. Be kind to people. Don't put them down. Actually, those who are being put down, you go and look after them. If someone hasn't got food, feed them. Mm. If someone hasn't got clothes, clothe them. If someone's sick, look after them. Mm. And all of that stuff, in that service, in doing those things, you become closer to God. That's how it works. Now, and there's other things you can do, like praying and meditating and these things. That's all part of it. But if you're just meditating and praying and not doing these other things, you're missing part of it. Mm. But if you're just doing that stuff, just looking after the poor and all of that, and not doing the prayer and meditating and uh, reading the scriptures, you're missing out as well. So one of the things that the church used to do, all charity stuff, right? Used to do it all. Even run hospitals. Mm. And that stuff's been you know, gradually... Those time, you know, the secular world just does them better. Yeah, yeah. So you know, we and so people can go. Well, I live a life as a as a Christian. I do lots of good things, and I do all this, and I'm close. You know, do all this wonderful stuff. I look, I feed the poor, but that's good. Mm. And you shouldn't stop doing it. But there's actually another part that goes with it to become closer to God or mm. to become closer to the divine. And I think that gets missed out. Um, so how the church remains relevant. I don't think it needs to change what it says, the way it delivers it, possibly. Um, I mean, but, you know, every time the church re... I mean, so like what we do in my place, we're a very traditional church. Like, in terms of the liturgy, it's like very, very traditional and formal. That works. For other people, that doesn't work. They need a rock band and all of that. Mm. So the church does do lots of different things. Mm. But I think... Um, you said something before, said why do people 
why people need to come and live by the rules of the church. Mm, I, mm. I don't know what those rules are. Right, yeah. Other than, don't be a dick. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And, okay, there's things you have to believe to be a Christian. And you've got to be baptised, and, there's the, you know, you've got to believe in God. Yeah, you can't fake it, you're going to be found out. Well, yeah, I mean... Basically. And you've got this... But your relationship with God is your relationship with God, but you do share that with a bunch of people. And one of the things... Being a Christian is not an individual activity. It is a, it is a communal activity. And that's why you do join a church. Because it's something you go through with other people. Mm. Um, you experience God. Jesus, Jesus says, where two or three are gathered together in my name, I am there with them. It's very true. Uh, to pray with two other people feels different than praying with one. Mm. The presence of God is clearer, I suppose. Um, but the rule thing, when people are going, you're not allowed to do this, you're allowed, you are allowed to do this, all these things, you're not to do this. I've never experienced Christianity like that. That's not how it feels for me. There are times where it does get a bit, there are lines where you go, man, I'm actually pushing against one mm, here, and mm. uh, what kind of a hypocrite am I at this moment? Mm, mm. But it's almost like um, the more time I spend with it, the more time I spend in the faith, Realizing so much of what Jesus actually said was about removing of your own ego and selfishness, mm. and so and actually the more time I spend reading the scriptures, that just comes through clearer and clearer and clearer. And you know, you're not to. He says this thing, you know, don't blow your own trumpet and all this kind of stuff. Yeah, and even without a um, a religious sort of scaffolding around that, that's a really important and really important thing that we spend our lives working towards anyway. Totally. And and, and therefore, it's a thing that. You know, people and sort of you're a few a few years older than me, but um, not much. But like people in our kind of stage of life, you start to move towards that. You know, you mentioned being in a dark place around the time that this. So you were looking for something without even knowing it. Basically, something something needed to change. You were lost. You needed an answer. You needed a new thing. You weren't. Your life wasn't a catastrophe. There were obviously things that were good about it. It was really good. But you were missing something. I think the thing, if I actually look at it, and it comes down to the self thing again, if I mm. look at who I was at that point and the way I thought about myself, mm. was really bad. But mm. it was still, but here's the thing, it was still self. Yeah. That was the thing. Yeah, yeah, like, yeah. So I mean, you can go, don't be a big head, mm. don't be up yourself, and we're told that we're not to do that. But actually, there's also the thing of actually don't think about yourself, actually mm. think about others. Mm. And that's very freeing. Um, to not carry on about yourself and I think this is a, like an onion you're peeling off layers all the time getting to it closer and closer uh, to the point where you actually you, of course you're going to be aware of who you are uh, who your true self is but that's not going to have a whole bunch of crap with it mm. um, and it's and we remove it throughout our lives I would assume that's what should be happening mm. and, it, and it gets real I tell you at, at the moment where I'm up to it gets really, really uncomfortable because you have to actually think about who you are, uh, the kinds of attitudes you have, the way you have treated people, uh, the way you, the way your mind works, and it can get very, very, um, very confronting. And what you're talking about here too is why there's a, there's always a. My understanding is, and I know some people that have spoken about this from from their involvement, but my understanding is this: that's the the essence of the religious component and recovery programs. What totally. we were just talking about there yeah. is that is that stripping of ego, yep. um, peeling back of the layers. Yep. You know, all 
I think all religions have that. I, yeah. I mean, we know Buddhism does. Yeah. Um, I'm not sure about Islam. I think that they've certainly got a thing. It's you give yourself up to something bigger, mm. and that sense of that the, there is, um, you know, our terms we use, you know, God, uh, the Trinity. Mm. But I mean, if we take that language away, it's the sense of the divine. To get closer to the divine, you've actually got got to remove things. And if you think about like you know the clutter of our lives, it's the same in our souls. Mm. Mm. We just we carry a whole bunch of stuff with us we just don't need. Mm. And that stuff gets in the way of your seeing where God is working. And God, I mean, I believe God's at work in everything. He, absolutely everything. Like the dogs coming in here. He's with them, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, so, but you need to remove stuff to get out of it so you can actually see it clearer. And right. sees not a good term. I don't think English really helps here. Mm. Be, I think the Germans would probably got to have a better word for it, but to uh, know it, even that's not a good word. But to to feel the divine presence in life, mm. you've got to remove stuff. Mm. And so when we go to church, um, one of the things we do, we are with a whole other bunch of people, and we're a traditional church, so um, the liturgy is the same every week. We stand, we move in, we confess what we've done wrong, as a group of people, we say this is the stuff we've got wrong. We're absolved of that. We hear from the scriptures. We have um, the scriptures explained in a way through the sermon. We uh, stand up and say uh, what we believe. Then we pray for the world. Then we have communion. Mm. Yeah, it's the same the same pattern every week, mm. every day at my place, right? Mm. And you get into this groove of it and it just happens and it's this wonderful thing and you realise that this is it's like a structure of life. Mm. It's a wonderful thing to do. Um, I'm trying to look at where I was going with that. No, I wasn't trying to. No, no, it's, 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 it's all very interesting to me because it's, you know, as I say, I've, I've just in the last couple of years been thinking more and more about this stuff and how, you know, one of the things I was going to bring up then too is, is how what you were describing then people that live as many of us do in one way or another now on the internet basically live on the internet and and work through social media channels to form and hold friendships but also to to push our agendas and to tell people to to preach Mm. actually in some cases and for both good and bad Mm. um there's this awful strain of of black and white judgment that's being mm. handed down in that way totally. which is ironic because one of the judgments if you like that would come from people uh, that aren't religious is bagging up everything they think they know about religion and saying here's why it's bad here's yeah. why it's not for me and if and if you believe in that I'm instantly skeptical of you yeah. as a person and and yet if they were to go and do some digging yeah. turn up at a church do some actual research, not some YouTube tutorials, <laughs> you know, they would find that that was not the case. I think one of the, you've kind of hit on something there, and I think the church has done a really bad job of, uh, well, it's just tradition, I suppose, over, mm. over centuries, you've got to realise. Mm. And, you know, in New Zealand, where, mm. you know, the, the Western church that we are, Anglicans, Catholics, Presbyterians, Methodists, I suppose, put them in there. That's all who's here, and it's mm. probably others as well, but... I mean, it's all kind of a bit, you know, it's very English, it's very, mm, uh, mm. And, and there's other ways of exploring Christianity which other uh, nationalities have, which the English 
tradition doesn't really have it. It's, it's there, but it's buried down. Yes. Um, so the Reformation, uh, 1500s, and that's what came out here, the Reformed Church, um, did a lot of damage, I think. That's a whole other topic. Let's mm, knock yeah. that out. Mm, yeah. um, but I think if people actually read um, or spent time with the Scriptures, again, I, people listening, read the Gospel of John. Mm. Read the Gospel of John. Just experience that. It's a wonderful text. It is so powerful. Um, and the Jesus you meet in the Gospel of John is incredible. It's He's in, he's intense, man. He's mm. pretty full on. But he's so much beauty in it. And it's such a... The story of Christ's uh, life on earth is an incredible story. What he, what he was able to express, what he was able to teach, what he went through. Um, is it's a we should all model our lives on that I think I think that's the idea and so he always said follow me and it wasn't just walk after it was actually be like me mm. and being like him meant looking after people who were previously no one had wanted to do with like one of the great stories of the the gospel is the resurrection of course without the resurrection this wouldn't be here yeah and that's a, probably a thing a lot of people have problems with I mean it, to be a Christian, you've got to believe Jesus rose from the dead. There's no, I kind of do. You've got to believe. That's it, the know? line. That's the line. You've got to have that one. Yeah. And then, not necessarily the, the virgin birth, as we, a lot of people understand it, but that Jesus is the Son of God. That's got to be there. You can't be a Christian without that, right? So those two end parts, mm. the incarnation and the resurrection, are the most problematic. So how do you get to those? Like, they don't hit you with that beam of light in that church that day. That wasn't what got me at all. No. The presence of God got me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but I had no, when reading the resurrection account in particular, I had no reason to doubt it. Right. It was completely true to me. Because you'd, you'd been guided to it. It was like, so of you course, were, yeah. why, you know, the more time you spend with it and you question it and you read through it and you read books about it and mm. there's four different accounts of it and they actually not necessarily contradict each other but they tell the story in yeah. different ways. The Mary incarnation part's probably even more problematic. But that, when I first, I was on my journey, I mean, I'd been doing my music, and that's what I needed to express. So the first music I composed was um, about the Annunciation with the angel Gabriel going to Mary. I was really drawn to it. Yeah. Because I had no doubt that it happened. Now, I'd probably look at it differently now and go, well, did it exactly happen as we're told in the Gospel of Luke? Probably not. Uh, but something happened. That was a way of expressing it. Now, I'm more happy to go with that now, whereas 10 years ago, I probably would have gone, no, it has to be like that. I'm more fluid with it now. Mm. But what I, it doesn't change the fact that the incarnation happened. So when you go to the Gospel of John, there's no Mary, there's no Gabriel. Well, Mary's in it, but that story's not there. Mm. He just explains it in a different way. He goes, in the beginning was the Word. Here we go. I'm up for that. Yeah. But the resurrection, the thing, Mary Magdalene is the one who is is the first person to see the empty tomb, right? And this is an important thing. She was a, a, a woman, uh, depending on what gospel you read, but she was a woman that no one in society wanted to have any time with. Yeah. Some people say she was a prostitute. Yeah, yeah. But what we do know is that she was a woman that no one liked or wanted anything to do with. Yet she was the one who saw the empty tomb. Now, if you're making this stuff up, right, if you're making, this, if you're making up the Jesus story and going, the resurrection and you're writing it down, you're going, yeah, this, this is what's going to get people. There's nowhere in the world you would put her as being the person 
And there's no way in the world you put a, even just a woman being the person. Because in those days, mm. a woman's uh, evidence was not acceptable. Yeah, I don't know if I fully agree with that, though, because one of the most powerful things... I get what you're saying, but and particularly I think the, the point of view of how women were treated in stories then, definitely. But, but don't you think one of the most compelling things in a story is an unreliable narrator? And isn't that what she arguably is? Well, yeah. Doesn't she take that point of view? You know, doesn't she take that... Isn't she there to, to offer that position? Yeah, good point. It is backed up with other... Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, no, no. no, no I'm but, not fact-checking you as we go. <laughs> I wouldn't last long at that. So, well, but I feel like I have to... No, uh, as much as I want to hear this stuff and I'm interested in it, I can't just sit and accept it or I have to throw some things well, back. Well, yeah, yeah. I suppose the thing is, is that, like, um, if that's the case with the woman who... Uh, who went, I mean, in the other Gospels, you've got, you've got three women, and they go and tell the others what yeah. happened, and they come along. And it's when the men say, yes, this has happened, that it's okay. Yeah, yeah. So that's a bit of a thing. But I think more the bigger point with Mary is that um, Jesus teaches us that no one is... Uh, God doesn't view anyone as being awful or yeah, yeah. out of the thing. No one else wants anything to do with her. Yeah, he goes nuts, she's cool. Mm, mm. And and he healed her and all sorts of things. Mm. And that should let all of us know that that's what happens for that's what happens for all of us. Now she gave herself to him you know, freely, uh, openly and really followed him, obviously. Whereas no one else in society would do that. So I think what it lets us know is that God actually does look out for those who no one else does. Yeah. Yeah. And that's a really powerful thing. Yeah, definitely. Um and as a as a Christian, that's what you'd you'd hope that was in everyone's hearts. Now, of course, it gets more complicated than that because reality, and you know, there's people that you want to help and you actually can't, because there's other things where Jesus will do things and he will go, well, yeah, but you, it's up to you as well. You know, you've got to look after people. You've got to give them as many opportunities as you can, but at the same time, you can't. Um, sometimes you actually can't help some people. Mm. You well, no. You're not the person to do yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, you can't be the agent. That's yeah, the thing. Yeah, you yeah. might be one person on yeah, that step. Yeah. And that's um, that's a hard thing to come to terms with, I think, because you want to help people, mm. and sometimes you can't. Mm. And, yeah. But sometimes you actually have helped them, it just didn't happen in that instant. And that's true. Or you led them down a path further where, you know, maybe it's through going to other counsellors to non-religious practicing things but it came you know so in, in some sense you're still part of that line and you yeah, don't always know that right yeah and, yeah. and again see, this is an ego thing yeah, because yeah, then you yeah. get to that thing of why and why me why am I you know why do I need to be known completely. as the one who healed like who fixed the problem yeah. that's right and and I think it's one of the real challenges of being uh, being a priest or a yes. or whatever is that you can get into that mindset yes uh, in reality you're just you're just doing God's work. And because arguably there is an ego component to the way, you know, not just Benny Hinn, um, Brian Tamaki, Billy TK Jr., these other awful... All of them. Man. That sort of stuff is, is garbage. But but the person up the front leading... Totally. Is, there is an ego element yep. to that, to anyone looking in and going, you know, why did they want to be the person? Yep. And there's such a performative aspect to it. Completely. Now, right. it's really interesting because like, in the tradition, you know, so St. Michael's is Anglo-Catholic, so we are, uh, it's very traditional. So there's many things that happen in our place which means that the priest's role, of course the priest's front and centre, but what we wear, mm. what we say, is any other priest could be doing it. 
it's not about me. Yeah. The only time it's about, you know, even even in the sermon, which is the one point where you actually, you actually got freedom. Yes. That's there's not a place to carry on about yourself. Yeah. I can't stand sermons about the preachers carrying on about themselves. It drives me batty. Eh? It's about the word of God. Yeah. But sometimes you've had an experience that will help. Yeah, yeah, so yeah, there's yeah. a line there. Yeah, yeah. But so the whole point of the, the Catholic tradition is that it's not about the priest. It's a it, it, it's about the priest, not the person who is the priest at that time. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, the role, not the person. Exactly. Thank you. Yeah. Um. So we wear the we the vestments and all of these things, and the prayers are said for us, and we say them in a certain way that is not our normal speaking voice. There's a whole bunch of stuff that happens that takes that should be remo that are like ego removers. Mm -hmm. But you're still in front of a bunch of people. You're still saying things. So, of course, there's that element to it. And that's a, I think that's a, a fight many priests go through. Mm. Because, I mean, I've got to be very careful with what I'm saying here. Um, there are priests that drive me up the wall. Not necessarily in this diocese or just in yeah. the world. to say in the world. Yeah, yeah. Because they care about themselves and um, it's all about them. And it's not about them. It's about the word. It's about Jesus. Mm. And if, it's, if it stops being about him... It's something else. That's when it's about the church. And it's not about the church. It's about God. Mm. And that there, I mean, well, the church is the body of Christ. That is true. But it's not about the person up the front. It can't be. If it does, that's how churches fall over. Because it becomes a cult of personality. Yeah, yeah. Now, so I've got friends who are, you know, lots, I've got lots of, lots of priest friends. And they're all really good people. And we all go, we all go about our ministry in different ways. And for some people it works that they are that person, they can be that person that needs to be up front and speaking out about issues and they get themselves on the tally and all this stuff, which is fine. Sometimes you need people to do that. Um, but can, it's only ministry if it's about God. If it's mm. about a social issue and, and God's not being mentioned in there, it's, a, it's actually something else. It doesn't necessarily mean it's bad. Yeah. But you know what I'm getting at. Yeah, yeah, totally. Yeah. Now, what happened with your secular friends? Oh, I lost friends. Definitely. You did lose yeah, friends. Totally. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and you not... had people level those those charges we do about people that believe in religion at you. Like, I can't believe you've gone to this. Oh, like, it's not a thing I, I believe think in. You were so that stupid. yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I totally lost yeah. friends, and it was. Um, and friendships changed. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What? And but... did, did, did did some come back? When you say friendships changed, did, did yes, some come and back that you just, felt they'd lost? changed and yeah. the real good friendships uh, yeah. just carried on. Yeah. But there was just a different thing we talked about sometimes. Yeah. You know, um, may, but what was really interesting was there were friendships that I had that became stronger because I'd never bothered to ask whether these people believed. Mm. And all of a sudden there were people that go, well, I go to church. Yeah, yeah, we've got oh, a awesome. common interest now. That yeah, totally. No, we... Have. So some people just became more part of my life than they used to be. Yeah. But then, of course, uh, we moved away. So yeah, I went yeah. to... I didn't have any friends. Yeah. So then there was... The so you build a new life around a new thing. And they were a new place. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So this whole new community arrives. Totally. And then you come back. And, you know, you, you explained enough about why you went away. And, you know, there was essentially your wife's... Cool. Yeah, it was her call, yeah. Um, but with the benefit of hindsight, you in a spiritual sense you've got to go away to come back and that's totally. what you ended up doing. Totally. And the other thing is, is it, it gave me a freedom. Yeah. Because I wasn't encumbered with who I used to be. Yeah. When I go when I went to um, Australia, I could I was this new person. So I had friends twenty years ago and I'm sure this still happens. Um, 
and I, I'm pleased to think that it doesn't need to happen as much as it used to. But I had friends 20 and 25 years ago that would move away because they were going to, you know, come out. Mm, yeah. and, you know, and their sexuality was, yeah. was confronting to people in their family or yeah. their friend groups. And so it was less of a burden for them to go and be somewhere where they could be arguably themselves, the, yeah. the, the version of themselves that they'd always wanted to be. Um, then they got to come home mm. as that person yep. and feel like some of that burden had been lifted. And so there is a similarity. Oh, no, there, right? totally is. there was yeah. a, a, friend, a, a friend of ours who, when I was explaining about coming out as a Christian to my family and my friends, is a bit similar. Saying how yeah, comparable it would be. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's obviously... It's yes, yeah, 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 yeah. There's yeah, a yeah. similarity enough yes. there. And I think I was able to explore my call to being a priest and my faith away from here, easier. That first year, because it was a year before that happened, so converted mm. and then left within a year. Mm. And um, that was a really good year. Um, and I just threw myself into the church in a major way. Um, but it was, it was, I know it was really, I know it was really challenging for my family. Uh, that, that's obviously got better, of course. It wasn't any thing of like, oh, you know, Going to hang out with yeah, yeah. No, that You're not is. welcome. But, but it was no, challenging. It was, it was, no, it was, but it was challenging. Yeah. And, um, it was unexpected. Yeah, no one saw it coming. No. That's true. Yeah. But um, coming back was was interesting. It wasn't wasn't what I thought it was going to be. It was, as it never is. Um, but it's been Christchurch has changed so much. So yeah. it's, you know, but I've been I've got back in touch with people, old school friends, and uh, old people I used to work with, so forth. And that connection's there, and this the conversations is different now. Mm. Um, of people, old friends that I haven't spoken to, and they just will get in touch with me because they're going through something in their life. Maybe um, you know, marriage breakup, or a parent has died, or something. And I'm a person I'll go to because yeah, yeah. All of the, and I don't know. I mean, it's not that I'm wiser than anyone, but because this is my vocation. Yeah, yeah. Um, and the other things, when you're a priest, you're you're paid to be, and you've got time. Yeah. Like I don't I mean like I mean come and see me at the church and I'll be there. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like yeah, it's yeah, not like yeah. I've got to make an appointment to get out of the office to come and do this. Actually yeah. that is my job. Yeah. You know, and so there's a freedom with that. And so that's been really nice connecting with people again like that. So and in a way that never would have happened before. Mm. Um so that's really that's a really positive thing. Yeah, yeah. And I think that's why one of the reasons I had I think I had to come back. Mm. There's work that needed to happen here. Um, this church called me to come back. Yeah, yeah. And you've you've come back to Christchurch, and I mean, you spoke to me a little bit about this off tape, and I've, there was an interview on stuff um, about this too, and so I don't want to drill down into this too much, particularly if it's upsetting, but you talked about feeling guilt around not being here. Yeah, it was hard. With the earthquake. Yeah, that was really, it was difficult because, like, um, the day it happened, um, I was... I was at a clergy conference in Raymond Terrace, which is in New South Wales, funny little town. And so all the clergy of Newcastle Diocese, so there was 60 or 70 clergy. And I was I was a trainee at the time, so I was still um, studying at university. And there I was sitting there and the bishop's carrying on about something. And the bishop at the time was a very strict bishop. And um, Stephen Williams, who was the vicar at the church that I was training at, um, he was on the other side of the other side of the room, and he's from Christchurch, and he is my, uh, he's the vicar at St Michael's brother, mm. so 
family, and he, he used to play cricket with my dad when they were kids, you know, crushers. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, he came walking over to the room to me, and he said, there's been an earthquake, the cathedral's down. That's what he said. And I had this vision at the time when it happened, it was this cathedral, it was red, and it was all, it was really intense. I painted it, actually. But that was this thing, and I just remember going, I remember just going, fuck. And the bishops carrying on about some mission thing that we're supposed to be doing, and I just walked out of the room. And I'm trying to ring my mum. I couldn't get through to her. And it was like, crikey. And then I rang Sarah and going, no, I think Sarah rang me actually. And she goes, oh, there's been an earthquake. Well, this is not good. And I you know, walked back into the room, walking in and out, and the bishop's getting angry at me. I could feel it. Yeah, yeah. Well, he didn't know what was yeah. going on. Yeah, yeah. Um, he and just I thinks just, you're being rude. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, fair enough. And um, someone went up and just mentioned to him. What, what had gone on and I said look I've got to go and so Sarah came and picked me up and we just watched it on the news mm. it was on uh, Australia put it on the news on ABC mm. Mm. just watching it and it was just it just felt like because the you know the vocation that I you know the call that I yes, had yes I needed to be here yeah and I couldn't be and and you would have felt some pang of that anyway as a person away from their home totally, you know yeah. lots of people maybe some people listening and lots of people around the place have been in that experience totally. you know and lots was, of people removed from Christchurch that felt it and and I didn't have a huge connection with Christchurch and I sat hearing the news in Wellington and went this is awful so you know we all had that yeah. feeling anyway but yes on top of that you have yeah. this kind of vocational pull yeah, yeah. and and the thing is, is that when you when you have this when you're called to be a priest is the, to be with people right? yes um, and to you know, comfort them and all sorts of things, yeah, yeah, yeah. work you do. And I knew that I could do something if I was here. I knew I could, that, yeah. uh, that, I, that I wouldn't have been able to do previously. Um, so that was hard. And it was, uh, eventually came back when I was in 40 and catching up with people and just sitting there, you know, having a beer and telling their stories, just sitting there hearing the stories of what they'd been through. Mm. And I remember um, listening to the Blue Nile a lot at that time. Uh, it's a good thing to do. Oh, yeah. Walk <laughs> very, yeah. Very much associated with that time. Yeah. Um, anyway, and just thinking, I've got to go back. I've got to go back to Christchurch and um, help my people. My people, that sounds arrogant, but, you know, my, you know, my people. Um, but I couldn't because I was in the process of getting ordained. Mm. Um, you can't just go to a bishop and go, oh, no, you know, it just, just doesn't work like that. So I had to just deal with it. And there was guilt, um, but coming back every few years kind of mellowed that out a bit, and I could see what was happening with the city, and I could see um, the diocese, you know, the bishops changing, and uh, what was going on, churches being rebuilt, and Source of Michael's was fine, it survived, and uh, you know, then I, you get on with your own life, and you do your thing, you're still in touch with people. But then the, when the chance to come, come back, um, when I, they were called to be here, at St Michael's, it was I couldn't say no to it, and, and it was a difficult decision because um, I don't know, priests are paid a lot more in Australia, much more, it's a much better job. Yeah, than, yeah you know. Yeah. Um, and uh, my job where I was was beautiful church, and it was quite easy, I suppose. It was challenging, but mm, mm, mm. this was a real big job, and mm. it, I wasn't ready for it. I kind of am now, I suppose, but. <laughs> Um, yeah, it was that first year back, being back was the most challenging year of my life. Easy. Wow. Yeah. And brutal. Yeah. And I was, you know, one of the things I was thinking was, you know, about talking to you was 
you know, I was keen to talk to you about all of this stuff and I was interested to, to meet you. And when I told a couple of people that I was doing this conversation, they sort of asked me why I wanted to do it. And I said, you know, apart from any of the, the fact that we've connected and talked a lot about music and stuff and, and, and I, you know, I can consider you a, a friend or a colleague in some sense, even totally. though we've only just met because that's how the world is these yeah. days. But also, you know, the idea of you doing the job that you do, finding the role that you have in the way that you have, also something was interesting to me about that happening in Christchurch, which has has had a lot of press, sometimes sympathetic, sometimes a little bit patronising perhaps, as being uh, one of the broken cities in New Zealand. Mm. And so you've just talked about this guilt of not being here and the vocational pull of that. But then you have been here for the mosque shooting yeah. and the and the lockdown, yeah. which are things that affected, you know, obviously the lockdown affected everyone in the country. The mosque, mosque shooting did affect everyone in the country on some level, yeah. but it was... Um, you know, centred here, centred That was that was, a, that was a really full-on day because it, you know, brings up a whole bunch of issues and we've, um, at our school we've got, uh, no, I can't talk about that. Sorry. That's right. Um, but no, the, the, to go through those things, and Christchurch is a, is a funny place. I mean, it really, really is. I yeah. Mean, uh, it's home, so, you know, it, <laughs> yes. you know, you accept these things. Yes. But, I mean, I, coming back to it, it you've, Living away from it for a yes, while, yeah, and some yeah, sudden yeah. go, actually, don't need to accept this way of being. Yeah. Um, yeah, you see things in a different way. Totally. You're just open to them. Yeah, and I think yeah. there's, I mean, I, I'm, I certainly feel that I'm not as um, stuck as I used to be. And there's been, you know, one of these things that I think is, is arguably good that has happened in the last, certainly in the last 10 years and really in the last three to five years, is this call-out culture, if you want to call it that. Yeah. There's a real positive to that, to totally. people feeling the, you know, that they have the right to yeah, say, totally. I don't accept this, and here's why. Yeah. Now, some of that can end up being a little misguided and a little, yeah. and a little, you know, the delivery of it can be wrong. Yeah. But as a concept, it's incredible, and it's a great form of democratization that people totally. can say, I'm not okay with this. Yeah. I don't like the fact that this city is racist. I've always yeah. thought, it, you know, for, as an example, yeah. well, and, that's example. and that's obviously the example we were getting to. But yeah. but whatever it is, I don't feel comfortable about this, and I it's not it's not my Christchurch. It's not what I want, kind of thing. Well, that, the, that conversation started to come up. It's probably long overdue. Particularly after the mosque shooting, yeah. it was very mm-hmm. real, and it was really interesting to see how um, people who you could tell people had had. Uh, let's say difficult attitudes towards the Islamic faith. Mm, um, mm. How they just changed. Mm. This, this, this is bullshit. Another example of just the very worst examples of um, extremism giving mm. it a bad rap. Yeah, totally. You know, that's what a lot of us. That's what we're hit over the head with. Well, we, I mean, okay, growing up and you know, being our age, going through um, the early part of the century. Mm. You know the attacks in America, yep. you know, the 9-11 thing, yep. and all the propaganda that went with that. Yes. Remember, that was yes. relentless. Yes, absolutely. And so that's what all we were taught about, mm-hmm. um, the Islamic faith and um, Middle Eastern people from Iraq or wherever, was that they were bad. That's what we were taught. Yeah, the and message was, essentially is these are bad people, we can't trust them. That's right. And, Those are the two things. And these you just are bad. repeat that message enough yep. enough. I remember like the propaganda, and it's interesting because like, the way the propaganda has been working in the States, mm. what's been going on recently, mm bizarre mm. so you had this thing where actually the problem wasn't that look what those guys did and it was a terrible thing mm. it's not beat, it was awful yeah however it's not all Islamic people yes it's a certain, 
Look at what this guy did in Christchurch. Yeah. That's that's just delusional, nasty, horrible shit. He wasn't he wasn't a Christian. He wasn't anything. He was just an asshole. Yeah. Who decided that that's what he was going to do? And we have to. It's just unbelievable, really. Yeah. But the thing is that everyone had been worried about uh, Islamic terrorism, and there it was. It was actually a an Australian white guy. Mm. You know, and there was the problem. And look at look at the United States this year. You know, during the sixth, uh, yeah. January the sixth. Yeah. Look where the trouble was. Yeah. And so I think like Western culture actually has to look at itself. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And go, we haven't been. And I mean. <laughs> Our Islamic brothers and sisters have been telling us for a long time, hey, those crusades, they were pretty bad. Yeah, you know? yeah. And, you know, going, oh, whatever. And you go, yeah, they were. Yeah. They were. And, you know, the Crusaders rugby team, man, they changed their logo. They should have changed the name. I, yes. To me, I just think that, they, oh, no, it's a you know, branding exercise. Come on, man. Yeah. Actually, now's the time. If yeah. ever there was a time this was it yeah. and, you, and you couldn't do it, that was really, really disappointing. Eh? Yeah, I'm, yeah. I'm not a rugby fan at all. I don't yeah. care. But that should have happened. Yeah, I agree. I feel the same way. I'm not a massive rugby fan. I couldn't call myself a rugby fan. I'll watch a game if it's on. I understand the rules, but I'm not a follower oh. of rugby at all. But I completely agree with And so the things we've got to look at is that in New Zealand, like, that's the whole thing. It's the religion of this country. Mm. I, I don't know. Is it anymore? I'm not sure. I would say in the 90s it would have been. I mean, it's still obviously a huge part of New Zealand culture. Yeah. But I don't know if it's... I don't feel it's as... I feel like there's a generation coming up yep. that is just rejecting all, all of that. Yeah, Everything. And it's mostly positive that they're rejecting the stuff. Like, it, everything has its own problems, but they're rejecting the... You know, I, I'm always fascinated when I interview comedians. I have this thing where I, I think of all the comedians I grew up watching and all the music and but you know and all of that stuff that's interconnected but with comedy i really notice it that there's a whole generation of people that what was funny to them was a youtube clip now on that youtube clip essentially it's just some version of uh, a person falling slipping on a banana skin yeah. it's just the new it's yeah. just the new version of that yeah. now i find you know we all found Laurel and Hardy-esque stuff funny at some point yeah. and, and some, we all got introduced to a version of it but because they're seeing it it doesn't have to be a person that's noted as being famous for it it could be this unintentional candid camera styled hidden camera thing yeah. and that's their, that's their start in comedy so you interview a comedian you talk to them they don't care who Richard Pryor is and they don't need to and that's actually quite amazing now some of them will go back and go oh yeah I get the, get the lineage afterwards but I feel in some way maybe you're the same as me I feel like we've grown up kind of in a bit of a, a shackle to this like we're kind of like tied to you know i'm desperate to know where things come from yeah and i don't see that as a bad thing I, but if you know so if i hear you know the black keys for the first time and i think whatever i think of them and i'm not a massive fan but so you know i'm just trying to think of a random thing that i'm not too passionate about but if say they blow me away yeah I, I instantly know they didn't invent what they're doing. Yeah. So I've got to find out where they've come from. Yeah. But there's a bunch of people now, which I think is really f freeing. Yeah. They don't give a shit where the Black Keys came from. If they like it, yeah. that's what they like. And that's actually really powerful. So Does that make sense? You know, it does make sense. And, and I think that's happening with the, the, just culture is wider than just the game's on. We turn everything off. No one gives a shit. They just access things when they want to. Yeah. So it doesn't matter. And I think, that, so the, the historical way of looking at things, like, you know, isn't like looking at things through history. I mean, mm. look at that. I mean, yeah, that yeah. is the way that is organised. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Purely. Um, 
<laughs> Chris is pointing to a chronological CD collection. So it starts basically, classical is shelved by itself, but everything it starts after that in 1969 basically yeah. with um, some jazz records, but also some pop rock. And then it just goes through the decades and um, genre is irrelevant. It is about that they are in full each chronological. Year, yeah. Each year is marked off with, with an album facing out that's <laughs> the most played album of that year for him. What, whatever it is. So there's a Split Ends record on display on one shelf and a Scott Walker on the next. Yeah. Yeah, so this is a monument to, <laughs> to obsession. Historical, historical thinking. Yes. But so I do, there's a lot of value in it. But when you were talking about that, it made me think like because so much other stuff goes around it and we have to go, so you've got the words of Jesus, right? Yes. And you've got the guys that wrote about it mm. and then you've got the church that's spoken about it. It's 2,000 years ago. Mm. There's a whole bunch of stuff that goes with it. But isn't it great that we should just be able to go back and actually read those words? Mm. That's the closest we're going to get to uh, what was said. That's where it goes from. Yeah, Instead yeah. of these, uh, this guy in the 1500s in England that decided we need to think about it this way, mm. for good or bad, yeah. but that we, we don't need to be tied to that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You can and go and think, explore that. But. So maybe for this generation that's coming up, like, Someone like me, I'm quite happy with tradition and uh, history. I actually really like it. Yeah. But for someone who's just approaching this, maybe and it needs to be all of that needs to be peeled away from it, and actually allow the thing to be what it is. So, like, I mean, if you look at look what's happening with rugby at the moment, this is a big fight with all money and all. This yeah, stuff. yeah. I actually don't really yeah. understand it. I don't care. Yeah. But it's actually getting away from the fact of its guys running around playing a sport that they love. Mm. Now the game itself is what everyone really likes. And all this other stuff gets added to it, mm. money, experience, and it gets bigger and bigger, and that becomes smaller. Yeah, yeah. So maybe actually all that stuff, like the stuff with the self, needs to be buggered off. Yeah. And actually just look at what. The well, thing what's is. your What's your favourite thing to do as a a music fan that goes to a gig? Do you want to see a giant big band in a stadium, or do you want to see a small club gig? You know. Last gig I went to was in a um, was in a really small place. It was wonderful. Yeah. It was, um, and it was really intimate. Yeah, it was brilliant. That's what you want, really. Yeah, totally. and, which is not to say stadium shows are bad. They're, no, they're less bad. likely in this in this current climate, sure. But um, for and for a bunch of reasons, not just pandemic stuff. But um, you know, they can be fun. But most nine probably just about anyone I ask that goes to concerts, they love the sweaty club gig. Yeah, totally. Because you feel connected, and yeah. it reminds you why you're a fan. Totally. Whereas the stadium show is a bit of a pantomime and that can be fun too. I took Oscar to Queen with Adam Lambert and I'm not a massive Queen fan, but I loved it because yeah. they they were the perfect man to see in a stadium. Well, that's the thing. So sometimes you need the big experience. Yeah, that's right. right. Yeah, so yeah. Like, You're not going to see Pink Floyd in a club. You know, you'd want to see... Yeah, would you want to see the the show, yeah. the laser show. That's that's part of who Pink Floyd became. So it's like yeah. big experiences and yeah. small experiences which are more intimate, yeah. which are still big, but in a different way. So, I mean, again, you can compare it with, say, like, a big Hillsong thing mm. or going to your local church where it's, you know, some old lady playing an organ and some pretty dodgy hymns. Mm. But God's present in both of those things, yes, man, yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. and that's going to get through. But you're going to have to go about it in a different way. Well, it becomes about what's real to you. That's so right. some people... It feels more real because there are more people there, so yep. it must have more of an impact. Yep. That could be an argument, and that's okay. Like the, for the Hillsong thing, that could be, you it's know, valid. a safety and numbers thing mm -hmm. is valid. Can be valid. That's right. Like a, there are more people feeling this, so this must be so right. Must be real. Instead of uh, yeah. seven people at a suburban church with an old lady playing an organ. You know, one of my favourite movies, and I don't know if you've seen it or what you think of it, but The Apostle. 
the Robert Duvall film. Do you know that? No, I don't. Oh, it's a beautiful film, and I've been thinking about it a lot lately because I've watched it again. Basically, he, in a nutshell, he um, he is a Pentecostal preacher who does something really bad. He 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 slays a guy who um, you know was having an affair with his wife, mm. so he has to run town. So he skips out of town, and it's contemporary of the late nineties, and so he skips town. And he lays low and he changes his name. But he sets up a church. Mm. He sets up a church. He sets up a congregation. He finds this community that, that need him. And the church scenes were shot with real believers who were not actors mm. um, to give them this authentic flavour. And the church scenes are small churches with great music. And Duval, I don't believe at all, was sending up a preacher. I think he was really inspired mm. by several different people he'd seen over the years. He wrote the screenplay and he shot it. But I I just feel so connected to the energy of these small scenes. And the, the clever thing the film is doing is playing with that whole idea of yeah. good people do bad things. Who are we to judge? This guy did an awful thing. Yeah. Does he deserve to go down for it? Yes, he does, because yeah. it's an absolute crime. Yeah. Is that how his life should be defined? Did he try to remake himself? And did he try to do other things? You know, there's all of this sort of stuff. And so he sits in waiting, basically, to be arrested. But he gives his time to God, to, so good to the church, and does what he can to make, is essentially, that's a very Cliff's Notes thing of it, but I just love these small scenes. I've never felt, um, the in, in a film sense, because yeah. I don't know that, I, being a non-believer, I've never really cared whether religion translates well on screen or not, frankly, but I think it doesn't. Yeah. My feeling is it doesn't go that well. <laughs> Um, but you know what I mean? Like, I can watch yeah. the Power, uh, Passion of the Christ and I just think, oh, another shit Mel Gibson movie. That's yeah, about that's all I think. It's no, not a good example. No, 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 terrible <laughs> Good Lord, the theology of that. Um, yeah. I'm uh, sure there are some stunning examples, but, you know, to me, I feel like, in a way, the closest it got was this The Apostle, I think it's... The, um, the, the, in terms of uh, Jesus films, there's heaps of them. Uh, the mm. Zeffirelli one from the 70s. Mm. Is no, not yeah. Zeffirelli, no. Um, shit, one that was in the 70s is called Jesus and Nazareth. And the guy who is him. Oh, I recognise the cover. Yeah, I know what you're talking about. Yeah, that's the best. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Because the Jesus in that, yeah. whoever that actor is, whoever comes yes. to me, yeah, yeah, is fantastic. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and it's pretty accurate. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, in terms of uh, expressions on uh, churchy stuff, yeah, it's a hard thing to get across. Yes. Um, yes, because you're taking a moment mm. that happens in the moment. Yeah, totally. And, and you're going, about, and you're going. Here's a recreation of it, yeah. and that's like that's never going to actually fly. I mean, you almost want to say, is it like watching a, a concert, a DVD, instead mm. of being in it? It's a bit more than that, but, but yeah, there's that's, right. a, a that's the closest yeah. kind of thing, isn't it? Yeah. But the thing with the Duval thing, what goes on there is that, like, the idea of forgiveness, I mean, that's mm. a huge part, it's such a huge part of the faith. Yeah. The, and when we, the idea of forgiving someone, again, is removing off the ego and the self. You're saying, if someone's done something wrong to you, you're saying, actually, it's okay. Mm. Whatever, however offensive that was to me yes. that does not matter yeah. what matters is that you are going to be okay yeah. so it's a remove of the self again and the, God forgives us for our things it's, it's a big part of the story and it's important because we all do make mistakes mm. all the time mm. all the time I mean you can't I mean you've got to get it wrong mm. and if you're not getting it wrong at some point you're not doing something but the, the idea that um, anyone can be forgiven is a really powerful Thing, but it brings up several issues. So when the mosque thing happened, mm. talking with the kids, because the kids were all um, put in the hole, right, at yeah. school. And yeah. um, so we had to talk about all this uh, at church the next week. And 
forgiveness and all this. So how do we forgive that guy? That guy that did it. Mm. Where's forgiveness there? Because if you believe that God can forgive everyone, you kind of got to go along with that. Yeah, yeah. That's pretty hard. So then I keep on going to the thing, uh, chapter 8 of John's Gospel. Uh, it's, uh, it's a contentious, uh, it's been abused part of the scriptures by both conservatives and liberals. Mm. It's called it's the woman caught in adultery, and this the Jewish leaders at the time get they catch this woman, obviously doing it with some bloke, and they bring her to Jesus and go, "We've caught this woman uh, having sex with a, a married man, or she's married, whatever." We don't find that out. Uh, the rules of the law say she should be stoned to death, mm. and Jesus ignores them, and he says, "Let those without sin cast the first stone." Mm. That's, that's where that comes from. And then they one by one they all walk away. And no one says, and she goes, where have they all gone? And uh, he says, well, uh, he, he says to her, where have they all gone? Does no one stand here to condemn you? And neither do I condemn you. Go away, but this is the important part, liberals don't like it, and sin no more. So what he's saying to her is going, look, yeah, what you've done is bad. Don't do it again. But I'm not going to stand in judgment of you on it. Mm. Don't do it, though. And I think that, so what we, we can look at it on a forgiveness level and go, oh yeah, he just forgives her and it's all fine. But he does say to her, look, stop doing it. So we've got to remember that part of it. But the thing is that she's forgiven for it. And the worst part of the story is, where's the guy? Mm -hmm. Why isn't he free? Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. he gets away with it. Yeah. And, and the other, there's many parts of it. Mm. But that there is how forgiveness works. We have, to be, we have to be sorry for what we've done. And the families of the victims in the mosque shooting expressed that. They did. So beautifully. That was powerful, man. Like, how you could, you know, watch and hear some of that commentary and yeah. not be choked up by the strength totally. that was, of that. that was which incredible. was essentially, the tone was, uh, I mean, refresh me if I'm wrong, but the overall tone was, if we forgive this man... We no longer th have to think about him. Yeah. He doesn't burden our thoughts. That's the thing with with forgiveness. Yes, you uh, you free that person from sin, but you free yeah. yourself as well. Yeah, you free yourself right. from having to hold on to it. That's was, really powerful. My, my dad had was a classic for um, when he was working. Had a, was a classic for giving me the the little thought that was on his diary every day at work because yeah. he had a you know an appointments diary, and so when he turned the page, he'd come home if he thought there was a good one and tell me it. And many of them were not, but a few of them stuck in my head. And one of them was, um, if you resent someone, they live rent-free in your head. Yeah, totally, man. It, and that will be, I'm sure, a bastardised version of something from... The truth know. of that is this forgiveness yes, thing we're talking that's about. that's right. Yeah, it's yeah, it's yeah. very true. Yeah. And um, that's what, there's no point getting... You know, we, all, I mean, we all hold on to crap. Of yeah, great, little people. And it gets you and, nowhere, man. It, it really doesn't, yeah. And so the idea of forgiveness is, again, to free yourself, and it's clearing of the ego. Mm. Um, that's the power of it. When the when that stuff happened, um, when uh, the, the families of the mosque victims got up and were saying that stuff, yeah. it brought up some really serious questions for us as a congregation in the midst in mm. the city. And I, you know, I, said to, I said to the congregation, would we be the same? Yes. As Christians, would we be the same? And I mean... I want to think we would. And yeah, I, but it's I, easy to say. I'd right. like to think <laughs> yeah, I would. Yeah, yeah. And I, th I think, you know, I would. And I'm looking at who I And some of them were saying, go, they'd go, no, I wouldn't be able to do that. And mm. you go, well, hang on, hang on. But our guy that we follow, he says, you, this is what you've got to do. Go. Mm. 
strong, hey, you know, women call the act of adultery. You know, this mm. is what we do. Mm. And we need to be able to find a way of doing that. Really hard stuff, though. That's really, um, it is tough. So this bigger Christian is like, people have this idea that it's actually quite easy and you just... Yeah, you're giving yourself over to You're throwing your brain out, you don't have to worry about it. That's right, Actually, um, C.S. Lewis put it really well. He said, look, if you want something that's going to comfort you, get a bottle of port. Mm. You want something that's going to challenge you, become a Christian. Mm. And he was right in the sense that it is a a challenging road and it will make you, um, it will take you some places of yourself that are very uncomfortable. It's contemplating um, the intersection between spirituality and philosophy every day. Oh, totally. Essentially, isn't it? But you do it. The, the, it's not just a matter of you don't, it's not like this, it's more like you do it with God being with you. Yes. So, But then there is forks in the road. Totally. Man. That's what I'm getting at. Like there, are, there are decisions, paths to go down, you know, yeah. Yeah, totally. And, look, I mean, they happen on a daily ministry level. Like, I mean, we're in the centre of the city, um, you know, deal with all sorts of people and yeah. all sorts of stages of their life and yeah. sometimes it's bloody awful yeah and they uh, can be awful yeah but you've got a challenging in the extreme yeah. totally you know um, mental health issues and you know alcohol addiction all this stuff yeah and it's hard work yeah uh, for, to be to be the good person and who's going to be caring and forgiving all the time mm. um, it's actually and to offer care without judgment or guidance without yep. a judgment, right? And But also you get to the point where people, if people are being violent, you've got to look after other people. That's right, yeah, and when so, does, where's the allegiance? Uh, yeah. And yeah. Very tough. Yeah. And and I've, you feel that pull a lot. And that's, um, you, I always go, in those circumstances, I think of, I've got these people here, this is my flock, so to speak. Yeah. I'm looking after it for Jesus. But, yeah. You know, yeah, yeah. And I've got to look after them. So in the early days of working out how to deal with that stuff, was that some of the moments when in the early days of this new role in your life where you're going, I wish I hadn't done this? No, uh, there's more, there's more the mundane stuff that got me. Right. The politics of the church, oh. Yeah. Politics, like any organisation. So never a crisis of confidence in terms of... No. Do you know, there's one of the things I should have mentioned, uh, when becoming a Christian, one of the things that happened... All of a sudden, all of this fear that I had of living disappeared. I used to be a person who was kind of scared of people uh, that they might mm. beat me up or something. Mm. That just disappeared. I didn't care about it anymore. Almost matter. overnight. Yeah. I, and I've and I become aware that I wasn't worried about it anymore. Mm. And the other thing that happens, I think it does for most, that the idea of dying becomes less of an issue. I mean, obviously you think about it, but, but your attitude towards it changes. It's not, it's not the scary thing that I, I used to think it was. I only have one really real issue with dying, and that is the people you leave behind. That's it. Oh, like, that, that, you know, and I, again, like, and I, you know, not to hold it above people who, who can't have and chosen not to have children, but in particular, yeah. when you have a child, you, yeah. go, you start to contemplate mortality on a level that totally. you never did. Yeah. And so my thing at the moment is, like, what can I do to be a bit better in my life and some of my practices to stay alive for a bit longer? Yeah, totally. You know, like... Um, and that's probably a big part of why at the moment I've given up drinking. You know, I might not, I might drink again, but at the moment I'm not. And I'm thinking, well, that's a good thing to. I had, I had my time with that. I was good at it. 
I was really good at it and I was able to do it well. And actually, when I say I was good at it, I kind of never got violent. You know, so that's a very good thing. I said some stupid things, but I'm pretty capable of still saying some stupid things sober. So, (laughs) you know, it wasn't just that. So I mostly behaved pretty well as a drunk. I might have said a few really upsetting things and I might have had a few embarrassing moments. But again, most of us will do that even when we don't drink. So, but... I don't think I'm going to get anything out of it that I haven't already got out of it. So what I might get out of not doing it is I might live a bit longer yep. and feel a bit better about myself and save a bit of money and save a bit of face. And Those getting, are all good things. And getting older, the hangovers get worse as well. Yeah, totally. And, 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 and not having them yeah. is, um, is, is never boring. It's amazing. Yeah. Every, every day, there has been a type of... Well, I, I don't, maybe it's a bit fraudulent to compare it, but that has been like a spiritual awakening no, to no, me. No, that would completely be. Like, I mean, I used to drink a lot, and um, you know, I haven't, I haven't for quite some time now. I still have the odd drink. Yeah. I mean, like, I mean, at my birthday on New Year's, I you know, actually had quite a few drinks. Yeah. You know, actually party up with people. Yeah. And I really enjoy it and look forward to that. Um, but it's not something that I would want to have part of my life anymore. Yeah. And I don't, I don't miss it. No, I don't miss Smoking's it. Smoking's more of a problem. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so I noticed you Nicotine, yes. popping the, the gum or the... Uh, these are the lozenges. Yeah, yeah, yes. yeah. So have you been at that for a while? Yeah, been on those for a long time. Actually, it's actually a bit embarrassing now because I've got to go to the chemist to get them. And it's getting a bit embarrassing because I can tell they're thinking, you should really be off these by now. Right. How so long, I'm addicted to these. How long has it been? Like years. Yeah, right. Yeah, no, I know a couple of people like that. But the thing is, is that the way I look at it is that I'm not smoking. Yeah. Yeah, totally. And, you know, whatever works, I think, like, is, is the rule there. Oh, man, I still, smoking is a difference. I still miss that. I mean, you know, that, you know that's enough. Do you get the, the hit of it from people and enjoy it? Or do, do you have to not be, or do you have to be as far removed? It's as, funny, like, I mean, say, like, say, uh, so it's a birthday or something, like, and people are coming around, you know, get some beers in and yeah. music ready and, and get some cigarettes, yes. Excellent. And, uh, or have, like, three puffs on one and go this is disgusting yeah and it's like why and I've spent 40 bucks on this yeah 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 um is it end up <laughs> funny thing is I'll do that I've done it three times now and I'll get them and I'll have one and I'll give one to someone else in the night and you know so maybe like four go so I've got this packet of 16 cigarettes and when I get back to work I've always got a person around the streets who I know will want them mm. <laughs> here you go mate oh thanks <laughs> It's all right. <laughs> <laughs> it's um, yeah. It is. I think like it's funny because it is the biggest uh, crutch for people and the hardest thing to get off. I think for oh, us, for for most people, no, it seems it's to be incredibly addictive. Yeah. I mean, I I, I really regret starting, but you know. You start and when you have people like Keith Richards say, yeah. you know, getting off heroin, you know, and you know, I mean, he's incredibly wealthy and privileged and has the best access to anything in all regards good and bad but when he says you know getting off heroin was was a lot easier than giving up smoking and i think he's only just done that yeah things like that though you do go like yeah man that's the massive pull of it i I gave up smoking after about five years and actually just stopped and i haven't had a cigarette for about 16 years and i just went cold turkey and i I sound like a bit of a boastful prat saying that. <laughs> but it's a good achievement in my life because I haven't been good at a lot of other things <laughs> and I nailed that. 
but, but I get how hard you know I don't belittle anyone that's doing whatever they're doing to get off it because no, it's, uh, it's it's tricky and I still I have no pangs at all towards smoking I'm occasionally nostalgic for my time as a smoker particularly because yeah. I used to bang a typewriter or a computer while I was smoking so I fed into that whole yeah, yeah. Um, setup of enjoying the delusion of it being you know a helpful stimulant and a prop and it's romantic romantic that's it but I and I will enjoy occasionally a bit of a sniff of someone lighting up a smoke, but yeah. I don't go and gravitate to smokers, but I also don't berate them and tell them they're killing themselves. Oh, it's no, like, there's no point. My, I've, life's doing My that, dad you know? was um, a, a, a vicious anti-smoker. Like, yeah. Like, fervent anti-smoker. I'm doing my best to be, like, be not like. that, and also to be an ex-drinker rather than a reformed drinker, you yeah. know, is how I see it, because, like, I might drink again, and um, even if I don't, I don't, I, I don't care if people do I think that's the everyone's got to be able to do their own, th yeah. own stuff, and yeah. I think again you were saying the rules of the church. Like I mean, you know, there's a bunch of stuff that there's a bunch of behaviours we'd expect people don't wouldn't do, and mainly they're mainly always about you know relationships. Yeah. Don't harm other people. Don't yeah. do stuff. And you know, some churches get all funny about you know homosexuality. We're not like that. It's just not an issue for us. Mm. You know what I mean? I find that just absolutely ridiculous. So those, I think that issue there, actually, it's interesting talking to my daughter. Um, for her, the issues around sexuality and gender, that's where the church is really useless. Yes. We actually are. We're yes. And Again, haven't got with the program. Just haven't. Well, then there's a bunch So hard-baked yeah. how it's been that it just can't get past they can't, So like, my place is very, very liberal for this. Like, mm. Well, it's like probably it's like the rest of society, really. Like, mm. Sexuality just doesn't, it's not a, it doesn't come up. It's not mm. an issue. No mm. one cares. It's, mm. Everyone's fine with it. Um, gender issues, that doesn't seem to be an issue either. Like, so tra people who are transitioning or have transitioned, that's fine as well. All good. Um, but I know that I couldn't, there's people in my church, if they went to other Anglican churches, they'd have a problem. Mm. And that really, that upsets me. It's like, it shouldn't be like that at all. Um, the church needs to be much better at this stuff. And mm. there are some of them, like we had this huge splinter in uh, Anglican diocese here because the New Zealand Anglican Church in New Zealand allowed same-sex blessings. Um, and each diocese could say yes or no to it. And our mm. diocese voted to say, yes, we'll, we'll allow it. And it went through this thing where, so they can happen here. It's up to each church whether they will or won't. And the bishop can't make anyone do it if they don't want to. Mm. So it's an opt -in. It's an opt in thing really mm -hmm. but some of the more conservatives went we can't handle this we've got to go so they split off and formed their own diocese mm. with Sydney people <laughs> and that, I looked at that going you guys are carrying on about this this is this is the hill you're dying on mm. seriously I really do, I just, the God that I know doesn't care about that so much it's not it's, I don't even think he thinks about it mm. it's when you've got this very um what do you call it? You know, if, if you think of God as being like a man, mm. you, you're going to think, well, God's beyond that. Like, Jesus Christ was a man, that's true. He was, like us. But, I mean, God is not like that. Mm. You know? Mm. Um, so mm. to think that he would worry about genitals and that kind of thing is a bit... It just doesn't make any sense to me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. To me, it's, it's actually... That's the stuff when I cringe about being a Christian, is that stuff there. 
it's embarrassing. And do you think, I guess, I mean, you, you cringe about it because you had this whole background of not being a Christian, of not growing up actually yeah, in totally. the church. So, but like, you remember what it was like when you weren't a believer. Yeah, totally. Yeah. And you go, and I think. And but that's got to be quite helpful, is what I'm getting at. Like, in terms of bridging yeah. the old tradition with being progressive enough to welcome anyone that's interested. Interestingly enough, like where the where the church in the world is growing is some conservative elements. Yeah, and, yeah. And there's all that stuff. Mm. So the liberal church, which yeah. Anglican generally are, is yeah. we're not growing there. Yeah. You know, and that's maybe younger people come up and go, they want something that stands for something. Mm. Then you can go, it's this and it's not this. We agree with this, we don't agree with that. Um, and I can just slot into that and I don't have to worry about this stuff anymore. Now, that works for a wee while for some people. Yeah. But life happens yeah. and it's never that easy. Yeah, yeah. It's always more complicated and nuanced than that. And that the problem with the church is they go, this is the, these are the answers and these are the rules. Uh, it and it always will start to fall over. Yeah, yeah. Because to have faith, right, um, requires uh, actually requires a bit of doubt, to be honest. Um, otherwise, it's if it doesn't have an element of doubt to it, it's something else. It requires you to um, move into an area where you can't prove things and you can't have evidence and you have to accept things on faith. Right? Mm. So there has to be an element of not having that as well to go with it. There's, there's room to move in it. This there it works. Otherwise, it's like you've got you understand everything at one point. Bang. Right, so when I was converted, I didn't understand anything. Mm. All I did know there was a God who was beyond anything, and uh, I needed to be a part of it. That's how that worked. It wasn't like I was given everything that how it needed to be, and uh, this is how it was going to be, and that was it. Sort of like my, my tank was full. It was like it was emptied, and mm. it was going to be filled with a whole new way of understanding things. And mm. so conservative Christianity that doesn't work for me at all. And a thing that is on these issues around gender uh, and uh, sexuality, it's really bad in New Zealand. If you go to the States, it brings up other sets of issues as well. I mean, you've got uh, issues around uh, race and all that kind of thing that go in with this. Mm. Um, fortunately, we well, don't think we deal with that here. Um. I'm going to jump tangents because we should wrap up soon. But sure. but I just wanted to ask, because you mentioned, you know, you being a composer and making music. Mm-hmm. And that's, con- you know, that's continued. Yeah, totally. And, and being informed directly by your conversion and yeah, your totally, religious yeah. experience. And and is that, I mean, I've heard some of your music. It's available. Um, you've got a YouTube channel. Um, is that something that you work at a lot? Yep. When, when I converted, it was like it was obvious that was going to happen. Mm-hmm. I mean, mm. the, the, actually, for the album before I converted was actually, if I think about it, was actually yeah. telling me conversion. Telling you, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, oddly enough. Yes. Um, and that work there informed the next few years. And so from that point there, I made a, it was a decision. Not that I ever made any money in my music anyway, but it was like saying, well, no, it needs to be for a different purpose. So it became this thing of like, how can I create music, compose music, that will have a place? How's it going to work? How's it going to work in the church? How does it get used for to express these beliefs, these things? So it became, uh, you know, here's a, an event in the Bible. How can I express the mood of it? It became about that. So that's informed it for a few years there. And then as I, when I became a priest and actually was uh, in charge of a church, it was like, how can I actually use this in a liturgical context, so in terms of worship? 
um, and experimented with that. I've been experimenting with that for a good ten years now, mm. and that's still a work in progress, and it will be for, for until you know God calls me to be with them. Uh, but so it's really now. It's that this stuff has to have. A, it's it's functional, and interesting. The, the stuff I've just finished last year was I'd set up a, a way of doing worship that used this music and a different way of reading the scriptures, different ways of doing the whole thing. So it wasn't like the organ and the choir. It was the ambient music sitting in a different way, using candles in a different way. I know that sounds a bit lame, but the way it all worked was quite different than what we'd normally do. Mm. Uh, far more contemplative. Mm. Um, and it attracted different people that normally wouldn't come, so it was very good. And now I'm working on a way of expanding that idea uh, to using voices from... Uh, from the mystical end of the church, what their experiences are, um, and, and that to inform it more. So it's going f even further out. Mm. And I've been very aware of like the Anglican tradition of how we do our worship, um, morning prayer, evening prayer, you know, Holy Communion. Uh, but now I'm moving away from that and going into letting the material that I'm working with, both music and the texts, to inform the shape of the liturgy. So while I'm composing, I'm also thinking practically. Mm. So it's, it's a different... Um, that started last year and the year before, but this is even more going further in that direction. Um, so it's a challenge, but I, I do enjoy it. So I'd give one day a week to it. Mm -hmm. It's my day off. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, we've had a huge chat. We have. And, and I've you loved it. This now. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And, but I'm just wondering, I'll give you the opportunity, is there anything that you wished we'd, I'd asked you or we'd hit on? Um, that we haven't got to because I think I get the feeling we could go for a lot we longer. Could go we could do another yeah. another session easily. I, th I think the only thing I, is that you know that we can experience if you're a person who's musically inclined, which you obviously are, and yeah. people listening to this probably are. Um, that's how you know that's how you will experience God. Yeah. God will come through that. It'll be um, you know those little moments you know where a certain chord change or a melody or a, someone hits a note in a certain way and it just goes boom and you go and you look at you can look at the score written down you can look at the words and all yes. that's just yeah. bland yeah. but the way it has happened yes. in that precise moment you hear it. is beyond anything yeah those that's a divine moment and yeah. that's a, I, that's where i find god and you know whatever record it is whatever they are up there you know there are moments there um and they're there for everyone and yeah. if you love music, this is how God's going to get you. He'll get you through that. And it'll be, you'll just hear this moment and you'll experience something that is beyond your own normal reality. And that there is just a way of, and if it's coming through music, it's just God saying, yeah, I'm here with you. Now, whether you explore that and go, well, I've heard this, I need to go read the Bible, that's up to you. It's between yeah. you and God at that moment. But recognize those moments for what they are. That is, that is a different reality. It is the divine coming in to be with you. Yeah. And you being opened up to it. And that that's wonderful stuff. Some artists, John Coltrane, really good example. He was able to open that up mm. for that whole thing. Mm. That that's why that is so incredible. But I think they're there. Alice Coltrane too. <laughs> Alice Coltrane too. Oh, majorly. Oh. <laughs> you know, perhaps in the scheme of things across her career more so, but obviously well, obviously he was the more visible na bigger name and rah rah rah. Yeah. But yeah. I think her, she's yes. she's one of the great examples of yes. Uh, spiritual music yes, in our time. Yeah, uh, those soul records from the seventies yeah. just 
some of the best music I've ever heard. Yeah. Because of that divine thing. Yeah, I feel the same. And way. she's not a Christian. Yeah. She's a different thing. She set up her own. Yes. You know, own church. And I look at that and I go, that's pretty cool. Yeah. And I, the God that I know and experience through the Anglican Church and through whatever else, I hear that same thing in her. Mm. And she's carrying on about Krishna and Allah or whatever stuff that she carries on about. But it's the same thing. It's the moment of divine. Mm. And they're there, it's there in all of it. Now, I'm always wary of a record that doesn't have a moment like that, and sometimes it takes years to find them. But, you know, um, that's the real good stuff has it. Yeah. And yeah. I think, um, so if you haven't experienced or felt you've experienced anything of God, you have, you know, um, but you wouldn't maybe use that language to express it. Yeah, yeah. Hey, this has been wonderful. Yeah. Um, we'll leave it there. God bless you, Solomon. I love you. Bring.